Welcome to episode number 25 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded June the 12th, 2019. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I live on a small hobby farm on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, CCFR field officer, and my farm's designated handyman. Is uh, Alan here yet? Oh, oh, just came on. Look at that. Uh, maybe we'll come back to him. Hey, guys, I'll go next. Um, so my name is uh, Hughes. I live on Canada's East Coast. Um, I'm a f- uh, Canadian Force, Canadian Armed Forces veteran, uh, current first responder. Um, I hold a private pilot's license, and I'm also a hunter and sport shooter. And Alan, are we, are we jumping oh, to me oh. or back to Alan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Owen. All right. So I'm Owen, and I live in Eastern Canada as well. Uh, and I have a background in homesteading, blacksmithing, general trades, and uh, a few other things, kind of one of the jack-of-all-trade type people. Alan, you missed your intro by about 30 seconds. Yep. Ah, well, here I am, uh, in some people's opinion, I guess. Uh, I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. I'm a first responder. I am a locksmith by trade. I got into preparedness and being prepared for things over years and years of experiencing downturns and downfalls and wanting to never have that happen to me again. Um, I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years, and um, I'm late, and that's my story. Sorry, it's going on your permanent record now, man. That's yep. it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, so we've got Give some heavy metal content Watch for just you. one second, guys. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> we've got some heavy metal content for you in this episode, and I'm, I'm not talking about the music type. Uh, we're going to start off with some news articles related to preparedness and the outdoors. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know about how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode. And then we'll get into the main topic of this episode, cast iron implements. Moving to the news, and uh, I guess we'll go with you, Ian. Alrighty, so we got uh, fires in northern Alberta. It's already half the size of the uh, Fort McMurray fire of 2016, so it's been going on for a couple weeks. Uh, I put in a link to the show notes on CTV News there, but um, looks like they're pretty much under control now, but they were uh, quite the early and large fire, to say the least. But the uh, the real story I wanted to throw in today was the the fact that Google Google Maps is here to save us. So they've decided to unveil Disaster Directions, which is part of the uh, Google Maps app, which I don't know, I'm kind of torn on because they, uh, I threw the link in the show notes as well, but basically they want to do is in case of emergencies or disasters, they want us to do whatever it tells us to do, hmm. <laughs> so, which is going to lead to what the... What could the, possibly go wrong? <laughs> exactly. So the sheep mentality, of course, everything going go in one direction, which makes you want to go in the complete opposite direction. And, uh, you know... That's perfect, I think, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Let everyone follow that, and then the rest of the ways out of town will be nice and clear for the smart people. Yeah, I foresee another problem. Most likely, internet and cell service isn't going to work to begin with. Well, yeah, I guess maybe you just get your phone and tap, 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 and well, too late, everything's gone the gone the shit. So the good news is, I guess, (laughs) is if the internet service is gone, then I guess they're all just going to sit around wondering, waiting for people to tell them what to do. 
or they'll all go in the one direction the end like Owen said like just go in the complete opposite direction or, or go with your alternate routes that hopefully you've already pre-scouted right yeah so because yeah, everyone does that <laughs> if they listen to the orientation episode they should have by now or listen to Andrew, right, with the alternate access uh, thing. Yes, so. that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my big news. I just thought it was a very interesting thing that Google Maps figured they're just going to save the day in case of disaster. So That's very kind well, of them. It's, it's at least a noble sentiment, and hopefully it works. I'm not going to rely on it personally, but uh, let's hope that it happens. Let's hope that it's, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a functional tool. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, so uh, for, I, for I'm going to go because go I went it. out of order once again. Uh, so my uh, my news there's uh, um, still whole lots of flooding in the Midwest, uh, specifically Nebraska and Iowa, and it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, so the the flooding itself is always, of course, a challenge. We don't want uh, we don't want you know water in our basements and water on our main floor and water in our upstairs and water in our attics. But um, the long term effect of that is that uh, these prime areas for planting, growing, and um, and producing food are no longer our primary sources. So that's going to drive the, the price and availability of those crops up, which, you know, the cascade effect is that it's, uh, it could be, you know, pretty bad for all of us overall. Have they talked about how much of a crop reduction, like in, in production value they're going to have? I haven't seen a specific number, but of course the farmers say that there's going to be no crops at all. And the government says that everything's just fine. So somewhere in the middle, um, is the is the truth i know around here i have you know i'm surrounded on i'm surrounded for five miles in all directions by fields and um things that were that should have been planted you know eight or ten weeks ago are um you know are, are looking at fields where they haven't even been plowed because it's been too wet so and that's without any specific flooding that's just a lot of rain hmm. So I think it's, it's going to be a shortened season, which is going to which is going to reduce the size and the and the availability, and it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a bit of a bit of a gong show come the fall, I think. Right, so we'll see what happens. Uh, so I've got an article here uh, from the Ottawa Citizen uh, in regards to uh, Ottawa's emergency manager suddenly no longer employed by the city in a state of emergency. So from uh, reading it over, it uh, it appears that the um, the individual there who was employed by them was uh, is no longer employed. There's a lot of mention of just I'm not saying anything. I'm not answering questions. Um, so they uh, they attempted to call him and and ask what happened, and that was the reply. So kind of interesting to to see that happen, uh, especially with everything that's happening in Ottawa recently with the tornadoes and the flooding, and then all of a sudden their emergency manager is uh, is no longer gainfully employed. So hmm. that was an interesting one to throw in there. Well, hopefully he had a contingency plan for that. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but he probably didn't, and that's why he's not he's no longer the emergency manager. Yeah, it could be. That'll be yeah, interesting to see if there's any updates on that. Uh, I guess I could probably go to... Sorry, what were we going to say? I was going to ask if you guys had anything else you want to throw in for news as well. Um, I just wanted to throw one in. Now, this isn't one that's uh, recent in terms of the last few days, but I've been following um, a couple of epidemics um, that are happening around the world, uh, notably the Ebola uh, in Africa, uh, which is now uh, almost a year into the beginning of the outbreak, and they've had about 1,400 deaths uh, reporting so far out of about 2,200 cases. So the, the mortality rate is pretty high. Uh, so keeping an eye on that and as well 
things like in New Brunswick here on Canada's East Coast, there's a measles outbreak uh, that continues to grow. Um, so just understanding how you can protect yourself against those types of threats, right? So vaccinations. Uh, Vaccinations, yes. <laughs> and, uh, this is not news. No, I know, and I think I New Brunswick now is making mandatory. Uh, they're making it mandatory to get your kids vaccinated if you want them to go to school now. So, I don't think you can vaccinate for Ebola, though. So, no, you can't. But <laughs> um, just out of curiosity, wasn't that Ebola one? Wasn't that uh, in like a place where it's not normally happening in Africa? Like it's like way away from the Congo type of thing. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so it's a new spot that is happening. Um, it is still in the Congo, uh, but it's spreading to other regions, um, uh, most notably in U in uh, Uganda, uh, where they typically haven't seen any cases. So, um, and the number of cases and the mortality keeps growing pretty exponentially there. So, well, they're probably not used to dealing with it either, right? So, is they probably don't have the protocols in place or anything else? Correct. Yeah. Hmm. That's mildly terrifying. Just a little bit. And uh, there is actually a vaccine for Ebola now. Is there? Yeah, there oh. is. Yeah, yeah. I was cool. kidding. Uh, there you go. Learned something oh, new. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, anyone else for news articles? Nope. All right. Silence on the panel. Move to what we've done lately for our preps. So, uh, Alan, I think you're up first, and actually in order this time. And actually in order. Hey, look at that. <laughs> I'm, ca I'm catching up. Uh, got a fair bit of yard work done this past week since we finally had a few days without rain. Uh, in my area, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was the first four-day stretch without rain since February 10th. Um, so it's, to say that it's been a it's been a wet spring is is a bit of an understatement. So I got a fair bit of uh, fair bit of stuff done around, tr trimmed up the trees, uh, getting ready to uh, getting my gardens turned over. Uh, I don't think we're gonna get some. I don't think we're gonna get vegetables in this year, but we're gearing up to do uh, a larger vegetable garden next year. Um, actually, finally met up with Eric face to face yesterday. Yep. Um, in a in kind of a kind of a surprise visit. It was it was just a couple of minutes as he was driving through from one Timmy's to another, but it was. Uh, uh, it was good to finally shake a hand and and uh, and put a face to the name. So that was um, that was pretty cool. We uh, we got to exchange some goodies. Uh, yep. So stay stay tuned for news on that. There's going to be some uh, going to be some good stuff coming through. Um, and um, one of those items uh, that we got to exchange it will involve a, a product review that's coming up in the very near future. So watch for that on a on an upcoming episode. Maybe not the next one. Maybe the one after that. But um, that will happen sooner than later. It's going to be good. Uh, so for myself, uh, I've been ensuring that my fuel supply has been uh, fresh and rotated, and well, at least in my car. Uh, I've put about 1,500 kilometers in the car since the last show, uh, so I've been uh, pretty much all over the province. Uh, one of those stops being to uh, slide by and say hello to Alan quickly. Uh, so yeah, I've been doing the uh, the Tim Hortons tour all across the, the province. So <laughs> Lots of hotels for me. Now, how much soap did you come away with and shampoo and... <laughs> well, that's what I got the trailer for now. Stay. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I could probably go next, I guess. Um, so one of the things um, I've been doing is we have a uh, travel trailer um, that we use just to go camping with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And one thing I've been doing is slowly converting it into something that can also be an off-grid 
type of travel trailer because as it stood as we bought it i mean it was meant to be connected to a water supply hooked up to like a 58 amp panel and all that kind of stuff so um just this weekend i installed a reverse osmosis uh water filter water filter filtration system uh so we have that um the next step is going to be installing some solar panels um there is a generator um in the trailer itself a little 2000 watt honda generator that can run most of the lights and all that kind of stuff and also, everything on board runs off uh, propane, um, so that's uh, not an issue there. But yeah, just trying to work towards getting it to be more self-sustainable as opposed to always having to be plugged into water um, and electricity. So that's what I've been doing. Very cool. Yeah, and awesome. Actually, I, I have to tell you, my wife, actually, she saw the picture of your trailer there. She's like, ooh, I like the stealth aspect. So she actually wants to, to talk to you later on about maybe setting up one of our own, like, like kind of like yours there. It looks like a good setup. Yeah, for sure. So thank you for that because she wasn't exactly a big fan of RVs to begin with. So maybe that'll they get the good uh, like you know gateway drug for a good segue into it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Oh, when you got anything? Yeah. Well, this I've been since. Well, I guess I should preface. We say we do a lot of homesteading type stuff. We take a a, a view of prepping as sort of modern survivalists and an emphasis on self-reliance over beans, bullets, and band-aids, you know, kind of mentality, though we do do some of that as well. So this time of year, of course, is gardening, gardening, gardening. We grow probably 80% of our own food for the year. So wow. a lot of gardening going in and, uh, yeah, regular gardening ground. And we've got aquaponics system I have set up in my greenhouse, which I tweak every single year. And so I'm finally getting into the point of producing regularly and efficiently. Um, yeah, gathering just materials. Big part of that this year, you, you know, you scrounge around for straw and all that sort of stuff for mulch, and, and and you gather as much of that stuff you can as you can when you can get it, and stockpile it for all year. And building a new chicken tractor coming up pretty soon for some laying hens and that we're just have started as chicks this spring that we hatched out. So uh, just, yeah, getting some materials from work and going to try a whole new concept from what I've tried before. So this is going to be a, a chicken tractor on wheels. So we'll see how this works. Just for our non-chicken people, I'm totally with you on board on that one. But uh, for the non-chicken owners, uh, a chicken tractor is not a tractor pulled by chickens. <laughs> so, uh, I, I had this little vision in my head, and, yeah, and there are these tiny little harnesses. And there is exactly what I was envisioning. There is no chicken on, on there at all. So, uh, oh, do you want to fill them in what a chicken tractor is? <laughs> so, yeah, a, a chicken tractor it can take many forms, but it's basically a movable cage that your chickens stay in uh, as you move them around the you know your property so they have fresh access or access to fresh grass and, and and all that good stuff there's one style where it's a bottomless cage and they stay in the cage and they're moved you know one cage length every day or twice a day what have you and that's how we do our meat birds uh this for laying hands they will actually range more than a meat bird a meat bird is especially the 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 hybrid you know meat kings just kind of sit there and eat what they can eat and they don't really range a whole lot. So the, the, the laying hens like to range. So this will be something you kind of plunk in a section of the field and they'll eat everything out to a certain radius and then go back in at night 
And then once a week or once every two weeks, whatever you need, you move it to another section of the field. You just kind of, but it's not a bottomless cage. I'm going to have it up on wheels so it's easy to move around. And it'll act as a as an actual pen for them all winter too. I'll pull it over by the barn and actually free up some space in my barn instead of having to keep chickens in. Well, the nice thing is if you get the bottomless cage type, it uh, allows them to aerate the soil by scratching away at it. And they get their protein with the worms and everything else and eat the grass. Yeah. So it all works out uh, well for everybody. So if you have some, some ground that you need torn up, they're almost as bad as pigs when it comes to tearing up the ground sometimes for sure. Lay, laying hens definitely are. I find meat birds don't tear things up as much, but laying hens, oh yeah, they they scratch and dig and, and yeah, they go right to town. And you tried something different too. You did uh, trout this year instead of your usual uh, fish, right? Yeah, yeah. Last year I just had goldfish in my system. I figured if they die, I'm not out more than a, you know, a few 45 cent goldfish from the pet store. But this year I said, well, I want to be able to eat this at the end of the year. So I've, I've set up a sort of a, a, a jerry rig cooler, which is working okay. And so far, so good. I've got probably eight or nine inch trout right now in my, in my system. Wow. So, oh, cool. That's, that's a good eating fish. Yeah. 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 So pretty excited about that. Nice. As for myself, I've pretty much been working a whole lot lately. Um, but in the uh, in the days off I had, I was uh, able to process out a few uh, excess male chickens. So I made my daughters uh, pick and choose their 4-H project birds for the year, and any excess males had to go because the uh, not only to be a good neighbor to keep the noise down, but also they were getting big enough from our January half, so it was time for some meat birds. So uh, me uh, processed those out, and then we started some uh, chicken stock, bone broth, pressure can that all up. Um, what else did we do here? So I reloaded some nine millimeter in preparation for the charity shoot coming up. And that's pretty much it. Not a whole lot going on around my end, that's for sure. Yeah. So, when you, I have a question. When you, when you do the the chicken broth and, and things like that, do you use the whole carcass and the whole bit? or? What oh, do you yeah. Do? No, uh, we don't waste anything. Like uh, after we've picked off the meat, like mm -hmm. my, my wife will actually segment up the chicken and we'll freeze the actual like thighs and, and breasts and everything else. Yeah. However, the excess carcass, will uh, cook that up in the um, Instapot and once we get the the broth cooked off, then we actually put it in the pressure in the jars for pressure canning, and then we take whatever's left on the actual carcass, pick whatever meat we can off for the dog food, and then the bones actually once they're dried off, they go right back in the chicken coop, and the chickens will eat that that bones right down to the the only thing left is the back plate usually, uh, those mm. tiny little back plate on the back that they won't touch, but if you take a hammer to that, they'll eat that too. <laughs> so uh, literally, there's. We don't waste a dang thing. And actually, oh, that's what I, for, I forgot to mention. I took uh, the all the guts that we didn't want to keep and threw them in a aerated bucket, and uh, I made my first worm bucket. So uh, I asked my wife how it was going because it's been about four or five days since I threw the guts in the bucket with had some holes drilled in it. And she goes, well, there's about six or seven chickens sitting underneath the bucket right now, and they're waiting for the mm. maggots to drop. And every time a maggot drops, the, the rooster go, you know, tells the ladies there's something there, and they all come running in. And, and so I guess they're all fighting over the maggots they're dropping out of the bucket. So awesome. <laughs> success. And, oh, uh, that, actually, she mentioned that today. So instead of getting our usual 10 eggs a day out of this one, particular coop that the worm buckets in we're getting 15 so excess protein oh. maybe helped interesting yeah, hmm. yeah. so yeah. that was actually uh that was a bit of a success i've never tried that before because the stench and the wife yeah. says well it's not too bad but it's like if you get close you can smell it but again we're not wasting anything that way cool <laughs> you need to get like a charcoal that is interesting. for the top or something like that what was that 
I say you need to get like a charcoal filter to put on top of it or something like that. Yeah, it's, a, it's that double-edged sword, right? You want the flies to come in, but you don't want the smell to leave. So you're getting a team bouncing act. Yeah. Again, <laughs> so all right, well, maybe we'll move into the main topic of the show. All right, so I guess we're probably asking why we're talking about cast iron, which is a pretty boring subject and not a very, um, <laughs> I guess, widespread one that we'd want to talk about for too long. But it is kind of something that you, you kind of got to plan for. Um, came up actually last year for me uh, with a, we had a multi-day power outage there. And what, uh, what it boiled down to is we ended up using the cast iron quite a bit on top of the fireplace. Um, just because it's something you don't have to worry about breaking. Like, you know, you put a Teflon pan on top of the fireplace for more than a couple hours. And you're probably going to have a ruined pan, right? And um, as far as keeping the heat, so once you take it off the fire and you want to keep it warm, it uh, it maintains heat and everything else. So it is an interesting preparedness product for sure. Um, cheap. Well, it's definitely cheap if you can find the right stuff. Uh, stuff. Um, sure. yeah. Durable. Like I said, it's pretty hard to break or overheat. And uh, for my wife's uh, nutritional training, I guess it's healthier than using a Teflon pan if you're going to have uh, pots and pans in the house. If you have somebody that has like anemia or wants to get a little bit of excess iron in their diet, um, it does rub off when you're using it, which ah. is always good. So uh, I had blood donation number fifty six today, and that's fifty six times I have had adequate iron. So I think that's, uh, that's <laughs> certainly a testament to its uh, uh, to its uh, use. Well, that's because you're not a vegan for a while. There we go. <laughs> Uh, on another unnamed podcast, we actually mentioned the fact that they had a bunch of vegans on protest in downtown Toronto. And uh, the front page of the article, I had to kind of giggle because all three of them were like deathly white and pale. <laughs> it looks like they hadn't seen sun for quite a while. And I was like, you guys seriously need some red meat. <laughs> what they need is they need to cook their vegetables on a cast iron pan. Or it's exactly. a cast iron pan, yeah. <laughs> yeah with bacon. <laughs> oh, I thought that was a good idea. Well, you see, if you're going to grease up the pan, you might as well use bacon to do it, right? Yeah, of course. Exactly. Absolutely. And, of course, we haven't covered the, the worst-case scenario for uh, cast iron implements, you know, the blunt weapon. I think every action movie in, in history has had a scene in the kitchen where the guy takes out the cast iron pan and deflects the knife and usually cranks the guy upside the head with the, the cast iron. So that's always a good thing. Yeah, that's uh, there, there's no there's no going through that. It's uh, it's it's certainly tough. I mean, one of the one of the advantages of cast iron, one of the reasons that it's so durable, is because the stuff is generally pretty thick, and it's I mean it's heavy as a result. So it's certainly not your uh, um, not your aluminum or even stainless pan that's uh, that's you know maybe lightweight and you know high speed low drag. But um, I have a cast iron um, skillet in my in my kitchen right now that's pushing a hundred years old and still you know still in excellent shape well actually you mentioned the 100 years old stuff uh on my last well, the uh the camping trip where we got or sorry the hunting trip where we got skunked my uh, hunting partner actually had a cast iron waffle iron and uh so it went cool. up on the cook stove and it was like over 100 years old and it was still in great shape and he just had ice they oiled up and he had the uh, the mix all set up and basically uh, it retained so much heat that once you turned off the burner it was still good for about four or five waffles it was just fantastic and well, that's amazing. It looked brand new. It was uh, it was pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, I have a I have a Dutch oven in my uh, in my camping kit. That's um, I don't know. It's probably twenty years old, and it's gone with me to to a lot of camping trips, and it's made a lot of meals and a lot of memories. And, and it's yeah, it's it's in the same shape as one of the brand new. 
Yeah, so I guess one of the main things with cast iron is it's more resilient to non-standard cooking conditions. So as far as preparedness goes, if you're using it on top of with the wood stove, like I mentioned last uh, winter, you, you can use it in a campfire, um, use it with charcoal, like briquettes, or uh, like you mentioned, the Dutch oven. I mean, that's uh, have you guys ever used the Dutch oven and how, it, uh, how that works? Is anyone going to make a Dutch oven joke? Or I'm waiting for it. I was trying to avoid it. I was trying to class the podcast a little bit. We've already done we've already done the poo episode, but uh, I, I, was just, I, I was waiting I, for it. And I was actually going to walk you guys right into it by telling you I bought my or I gave my wife a Dutch oven last year, <laughs> <laughs> and nothing. Um, I was going to mention so earlier this year we had made. Uh, we had gone out on a camping trip, a, a two-day winter camping trip, and we actually had uh, bison ribs that we made in a Dutch, in a cast iron Dutch oven. So we basically oh. made pretty primitive uh, tripod that went over the fire, and we basically started these ribs around nine o'clock in the morning and had them around, I think, probably seven or eight o'clock at night. So they simmered on the fire for like eleven hours, um, and it was it was great. I mean, I mean, the Dutch oven is so versatile; it can take the heat all day. Um, don't have to worry about the finish or anything on it, right? So uh, between the pans and, and the Dutch oven, I can't see myself having anything else for cookware in the bush unless I'm looking for something very minimalist. And if I'm going backpacking, obviously I'm not going to carry a 15-pound skillet around, right? Um, I've got titanium cookware for that stuff. But um, other than that, when it comes to truck camping or anything like that, it's 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 the way to go, I think. Well, that's that's certainly a consideration if you're uh, if, if high-speed, low-drag is your is your mo or it's your it's your goal then cast iron is not for you because no there's nothing light <laughs> and nothing portable about cast iron it can be moved but you've got to you've got to be prepared for it um one of the the first things that i learned how to do with the dutch oven when i was a kid in scouts was we would we would bake bread in it that was that was always the like the scouting challenge and um you take the coals and you pile them on top of the on top of the uh the lid buried in buried in the coals from the uh from the from the breakfast fire and you you'll have you have bread in it in an hour because it, it acts it'll it'll reflect the heat back in it's fantastic yeah i've seen some uh, a lot of recipes that they do bread not just in the dutch oven but like in in a pan or sorry in a frying pan in the oven like cornbread and in a yep. cast iron pan and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's that's something i'd, I'd love to try well, I think YouTube's your friend on that one, but uh, I mean, even Bannock—you know, your typical Canadian frontiersman food type of thing—it's—it's mm -hmm. it's all meant for cast iron usage. I think Alan nailed it with uh, pouring the coals on it. So, like, uh, for an energy conservation perspective, if you have a fire that's dying down, one of the last things you can do is take the Dutch oven, throw whatever food you want into it, throw the coals on top, and walk away. And you know, an hour to a few hours later, you have a another quick meal, right? We we always did that at at, uh, at the end of the night. Instead of putting out the fire, we would put out we we would put the Dutch oven in, put the breakfast food inside, and then put the coals on top. And then we would have you know fresh bread and uh, fresh bread with sausage in it for breakfast. Oh, that's and, awesome! You know, let just let it cook overnight before you sack out, and it's good to go. That's a good idea. A yeah, really good idea. So yeah, other than the Coleman stove usage, uh, the campfire, I mean, it's it's more resilient than most uh, cookware. I think other than the the weight aspect, it's pretty good. Limitations, um, the, what you call the waffle iron, I was mentioning the other day, you know, or what, five minutes ago. It, uh, like I said, the rust issues. So, um, yeah, there you on go. This, on your host on your show, it feels like it was a few days ago. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, hey, I was up at 2.45 this morning. Leave me alone. So, <laughs> but, Are you uh, sure that was this hey, morning? Hey, you, said, 
You said to treat you like Furlot, so come Oh, on. well, you're supposed to treat me worse than Furlot, so <laughs> keep, keep going. <laughs> but uh, so rust is a big issue with the cast iron because there's actually no chemical treatment on it at all. So it does need oil. Um, I'll start off by saying animal lard will work as the oil that you need to uh, work with cast iron. But uh, has anybody actually dealt with uh, like a new cast iron pan before? Oh, yeah. I've had, I've had in there. Uh, um, I mean, you go through the seasoning steps, and, and once again, YouTube is your friend. I, I learned how to do it with um, a book that unfortunately did not survive a, um, uh, a, a flood, but it was the the, uh, the complete outdoorsman's Bible, I want to say, and I can't remember who wrote it, but I got I got that as a gift, you know, when I was you know, 15 or 16, and um, oil it and heat it and oil it and heat it and open your windows because it's going to smoke and... and uh, um, Learn how to season it. Uh, we could go through the steps, but that that in itself is its own its own video because it takes a fair bit. Um, but it's uh, it's a it's a great um, once it's done. You shouldn't need to do it again for a while unless uh, unless you let it sit in water. Yeah, yeah so as long as you don't let it sit and sit in soap and water, you're definitely you're, you're don't really not gonna it's not gonna rust. You know, like the, the seasoning really bakes right in. Yeah. I've even heard of people that don't actually clean them. They just basically scrape the food off, put some more oil in it, and that's it. I mean, they don't well, they don't use soap and water we, to clean it, right? But we 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 cook cook exclusively, pretty much exclusively with cast iron around the house. And what uh, my wife does is she takes coarse salt and coarse salt on a cloth or a paper towel or whatever you want to use, and then she'll scrub it, like use the the coarse salt as an abrasive. Okay. And scrub it that way so it gets it clean and then she can just take it and wipe it wipe out the the loose the stuff that's you know come loose from the the, the scrubbing but that way we do exactly the same thing yeah and is it not advisable i guess to use um anything like 3m scrub pads or steel wool or anything to clean it well i think the nice thing is with that is you could take steel wool to it and it's not going to damage the finish at all yeah yeah <laughs> if, it, you know, if it just but i don't know if it's going to damage the seasoning right or, or uh well basically anytime you, you wash it or, or scrub it or even you know with steel or whatever you just kind of give it another coat of oil and it's fine okay. i think yeah. uh because unlike a teflon pan or like the visions cookware or anything else if you don't maintain the seasoning that's when problems start right yeah. And do that do that while it's still a little bit warm, I guess, is the other thing, right? Um, while it's still warm, you scrub it out with the salt and then just a few drops of oil and coat the coat it again, and then it, it, it you won't have yep. if you do it when it's cold, it'll take forever to scrub. But if you do it while it's warm, then the pores are, you know, the the the, the pores of the the metal are open and it okay. works out better for you. So because it's not a very common thing, I thought I'd just mention like if you want to get into cast iron cookware um there's always princess auto it's pretty cheap cabela's is surprisingly cheap for uh, cast iron pans and stuff uh, as well as canadian tire but always with canadian tire i think with pretty much anything you have to wait for the sales to come on because they have the the regular price which is way too much and the sale price which is what it's really worth <laughs> yeah. i honestly i found uh i found cast iron at many many a goodwill and value village um, it's stuff that's usually been around and grandma and grandpa die off and they, they pack up the house and ship it off to the Goodwill and that stuff comes up pretty darn cheap when it, uh, when it's available. Yeah, that's there. been our, then our experience, our best, you know, steals on cast iron have been private sales either through like Facebook marketplace or, you know, your local Facebook classified group or Kijiji and that sort of thing. But yeah, it just all of a sudden it pops up and people are like, oh, I got this whole. 
kill well, them, think, and they've just been brown with rust. Well, I think most people take a really be... stiff uh, wire wheel and clean it all up. Yeah, I think most people can't be bothered to recondition stuff. So if you get to a garage sale or a thrift store and, and you pick one up for two or three bucks for the sake of an hour's worth of labor, you probably get in a pretty nice pan because, like you mentioned, the wire brush, reseasoning it. Uh, actually, if you take it into a self-clean oven, you just throw it in the uh, the self-cleaning oven, let it run through a self-clean cycle, and that takes most of the rust off or loosens it up. And then after you brush it off, it uh, doesn't take long to get a brand new pan, does it? Oh, they look, they look brand new. Like, you really can't wear them out. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, that's one way to do it. Uh, there is actually a, I thought I mentioned the ceramic coated cast iron from Canadian Tire. It's called La Cruzette or whatever, but uh, we got a few of them when they were on sale at Canadian Tire because I think their regular price is like, I don't know, 100 bucks a pot or something. And then they go on sale for 19 bucks a pot, which is the real price. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, are you talking about Canadian Tire for that? Yeah. Are you talking about KitchenAid? Because I think like Le, Le Creuset, the actual ones made in France, like the enamel coated uh, cast iron, those pots are like three three to $400. Yeah, well, those, those are those. the ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they, they go on sale for like 19 bucks quite often. <laughs> the entire... And what's funny is um, the uh, the pots that I have um, here in my kitchen. So probably two years ago, we bought an uh, sorry, we bought an, an induction stovetop, and I had to get rid of like 80% of my cookware because a lot of it was aluminum based and all that kind of stuff, and it wouldn't work because um, it's got to be ferrous, right? So I was I ended up with some uh, cast iron pans, some uh, cast iron cookware, and then a few other steel things. So that's when I really got back into using that stuff. And the set of pots that I have uh, are from when my parents got married back in '82, uh, and they're the the best ones that I have as far as retaining heat and cooking in it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's not just the cast iron too. I think it's the enamel stuff. And little tidbit of information: if you have a Le Creuset branded um, enamel coated cookware, if the enamel finish is damaged, you could bring it back to any store, lifetime warranty. They'll fix the enamel finish on it, even if it's 50 years old. They'll fix it for free. Hmm. So. Um, cause I, cause I had one of the pots that had three chips in the bottom and, uh, I read online that that was the case. I called my local store here, um, in Nova Scotia. Uh, and they said, yeah, just uh, bring it in. Took three weeks and I got it back with the finish all fixed up. So well, that's like oh, Fisker to or uh, Craftsman tools or anything. Yeah, that's awesome. yeah exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, the ceramic coated is nice in the fact that you don't have to oil it up and, um, it still works just as well, right? I mean, it doesn't, it retains the heat. It doesn't mind the excess heat or anything else. I'm not sure if I throw it in the fire or not, but it uh, certainly works on a stovetop. Yeah, I don't know that I'd put it in the fire um, just because it probably, I, I think, would probably affect the finish, um, at least on the outside. But um, I mean, the other stuff, the straight up cast iron, I mean, I throw that stuff in the fire all the time, right? So it's the yeah, only yeah. way to cook. And, and hey, it's disinfected too as soon as you throw it back in the fire, right? There you so, go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, the conditioning the pans, we could probably throw that over to YouTube. I mean, basically it boils down to like an hour at 375 with, with some oil on it in the oven, and uh, that's a good way to start. But, I mean, there's there's whole videos on that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the idea is you want to open up the pores, right? You get it warm, you open up the metal, um, and then it, that, all that oil is going to seep in, and that's going to provide that conditioning. Uh, and it's pretty much a nonstick surface if you do it properly, too. So um, do that. Watch, watch, you know, watch a few different videos of a few different people doing it, and take the uh, take the common elements, and that, that should give you a good a good base of how to do the how how to season your pans. So, question for everyone on the on the podcast here: Is there when 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 you're looking at new cast iron? 
Um, I mean, I see brands like at Kinetar, they have Woods. Um, at Cabell's, they have Lodge. Uh, and there's a pretty significant price difference between these two brands. Is there one brand that's better than the other as far as the, um, I guess, the thickness of the material, the quality, um, or anything like that? Is there any discernible difference that you should really lean towards if price wasn't a factor? Or? Well, I would actually probably bet money. They're probably all made at the same factory and just branded as required for each, each company. Probably. <laughs> probably. It's, it's, it's kind of like Turkish shotguns, right? Like, I mean, they rebrand them in 30 different names, but it's actually all made in the same factory. Yeah. Um, it's such a small niche market now. I don't know. There can't be that many places producing them, right? I mean, honestly, the, like to your point, Ian, they're probably all coming out of China. Same yeah. same factory, right? Um, and they're just putting whoever's name is applicable, I guess, right? So, But you just see such a price difference between like the $20 Woods and the $80 Lodge. Um, so I just didn't know if there was any discernible difference be- between them. Yeah, I've never well, that's like the... Uh, I, I, would, I, would, I would pick them, you know, to take them and, and look at the thickness of the metal and the weight of it and, you know, kind of it's like a lot of those things you can tell quality when you pick yeah. it up because you go, okay, this, this feels like it has a better quality. It just, it's heavier, it's thicker. It's going to take more abuse, you know, things yeah. like that. So, but then again, I was thinking, you know, it's probably your best and best how, how can you mess it up? Right. But you know, somebody's going to find a way out there to <laughs> <laughs> mess okay. it up. Right. Well, if they can save we... five cents, you know, by make, making it a little bit thinner, you know, if they could save five cents, then they yeah. will. Yep. <laughs> and that's what I'm kind of thinking is like, maybe the older, the better is what kind of what my mindset would be on that one. So like the thrift store special would probably be actually a higher quality. than Yeah. The, uh, well, I, I did hear that with some cast iron um, and this probably goes for a lot of types of cookware. If it's too thin, you're going to have hot spots, right? So mm-hmm. when the material is a lot thicker, it can distribute the heat a lot better. So you don't have hot spots in your pan. Whereas if you get something really thin, and this probably goes for like steel, steel and aluminum and all that kind of stuff, you'll have the, these hot spots in the pan that just burns the food, right? So, well, that's the main benefit of cast iron is the, the even heat distribution, right? So, yeah. I guess the only, the only thing I would I would look for, and I think I, I've never actually seen one in in person or like see, held it in my hand, but I've heard of um, pot like cast iron often the handle is welded on instead of or brazed on instead of being forged into into the as as, as an item so just for the look for those welds and if it's uh if those welds don't you know if there's spotting or spalling in the in that then that would be a sign for me to to avoid it i don't think i've ever seen one that had like a welded on handle i think everyone that i've at least uh, all the ones that i've owned have been forged as a one piece well, that's so. that's what that's what i'm saying so i've heard of it i've never seen one but i've heard okay. of that and that would be something to avoid for me Okay. Yeah. Actually, question for Owen. You're kind of mm-hmm. the resident blacksmith guy and everything else. Uh, is it easy to weld cast iron? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. It's it's easy if you have the correct welding rods. So you can cast iron can be brazed or it can be welded, but it does take a special rod that is pretty expensive. Um, so probably not worth it then. It, yeah. I, I mean, if you took it, took it to a shop and they'd charge you probably like ten bucks a rod to weld it up. But it's, I mean, yeah, if, I mean, if you're it, talking about a $20 pan new, right, then it's probably, yeah, it might not be worth it. But I mean, it had some sentimental value. It was great, yeah. great grandma's or something like that. But it, I mean, it is possible to weld it. Uh, it's not possible to forge it in a traditional sense of heating it up and shaping. Yeah. Cast iron just doesn't work that way. It's too brittle. But 
uh, you can you can weld it and you can certainly braise it together. I was gonna say if the handle breaks, you can uh, you can use that pan to melt lead to make some homemade bullets, I guess. But yeah, that's actually a legitimate purpose, I suppose. Yeah. Right? You to cast iron a little uh, uh, pot or something. Because I uh, I don't know how happy my wife would be if I use her uh, her her. Uh, <laughs> pots and pans I know exactly how happy my wife would be if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a negative value. See, you won't suffer from anemia, but you get lead poisoning. But yeah, it's yeah. kind of a balanced thing, right? <laughs> yeah, but if I get lead poisoning while I'm trying to administer lead poisoning, is it does it balance out? The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, she'll definitely give you lead poisoning. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking actually that's that's a good point. It was uh, if you're gonna do it over top of fire, get those weights out and uh, melt away, right? Yeah, I remember uh, when I, I tried to get into, with a friend, I tried to get into casting, and I, I digress a little bit, but I remember asking a local shop if they had any wheel wheel weights, and they called me down, and they had six five-gallon buckets of wheel weights. And I was like, <laughs> I have my own my own army here. So. Actually, so, so uh, Owen, as far as smithing it goes, you said you can't hammer away at it because it's too brittle, but is it what's the melting point on that? Like, Is it like way beyond a forge? Uh, it... I'm going to be honest. I'm not big into casting per se, so I don't know the exact process. There's a lot of different types of casting, but there's something about the alloy structure and the way they make it. It's very granular and it, it yeah, you just, you, you can't. It's got it's a really just, coarse grain, right? From it has a yes. It has a very, very coarse grain. Coarse grain on it, yeah. Almost like it's, it when you break it, it almost looks expanded. Hmm. You gotcha. Yeah. yeah, and I I really don't understand the process of of the uh, you know for, to make cast iron, but I I just know that if you find it, you're really kind of out of luck as far as making anything out of that. If you want to repurpose it, you know, into something else, and this is what a lot of people see they they see uh, you know these railings or gates and things like that. But if you look closely, you can very often see the cast marks on them, and you know that wasn't a handmade item; it was a factory made cast piece. If you were to hit it really hard with a sledgehammer, it would actually just shatter. Hmm. Got it. Yeah. I was trying to think of other cast iron tools we could talk about, but the uh, alternative uses, I guess, on the barbecue, you could use a charcoal grill and the uh, the infamous tortilla press. If you want to get all fancy during the apocalypse, I suppose you can make yourself some fancy <laughs> tortillas, right? Well, I had seen somebody that made actually, um, it, there was a broken handle on it. I think it was like an eight inch skillet, um, and they were using it to put wood chips in it to make a smoker box. Um, mm -hmm. so that, that makes good sense. Yeah. So, I mean, it would heat up, um, pretty significantly on the charcoal and once you get the, the damp wood in there, it'd make a great smoker. So without having to sacrifice one of your, uh, pans, right? So, well, and somebody else mentioned the tripod earlier in the episode here and I thought I'd throw the link in for that. Um, but I guess that's one of the things you can hang that on. That was you. Here. That was me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's a good one because it's uh, something you can put over the fire and not worry about it melting down or anything else. It's uh, it's pretty resilient. Yep. For sure. And I, I put my worst case scenario here is uh, if you don't like your frying pans anymore, you can use them as steel gongs to the shooting range. <laughs> they might shatter after a while, but... Probably for a shot. <laughs> that, that, must, that must have done something to really, really upset you to reduce it to such a... To reduce it to such a thing. <laughs> I was trying to think, well, they hang well with the handle, right? I mean, there's always a hole in the handle. Usually you can just hang it up. And... <laughs> I think I remember shooting one. I think even like a nine mil went went through it. It was No, really? It, it, oh, yeah. It didn't take much. Yeah. Well, I think like Owen had mentioned, right? like, 
it just it just really like it it took out a chunk of it and it was just a really coarse grain a really coarse structure of how it broke um but i remember we shot it like we had everything out there we had nine mil we had 308 and we shot with the nine mil and the first round just went right through it i was like well <laughs> that's it for that so see I another mean, action even, would be even uh steel fittings like we i mean i'm a plumber one of my trades is plumbing and in a lot of old steam systems they'd have cast fittings and in heating systems they'd have cast fittings and we would if we had to take apart a system and we were like well we're not going to save this we just need to get it out we'd just take a hammer and we could break the fittings just by beating on it with a hammer oh wow yeah. so they're, they're it's, it's pretty brittle stuff in that sense yeah it's not it wouldn't be able to do that with galvanized steel or anything like that right like no you know, no it, it would just that. deform it would just bend yeah. and deform it wouldn't it wouldn't break so it's durable on one hand but on the other hand it is subject to that kind of sharp, uh, you know, uh, focused impact. It will break. So another action movie myth busted then. Yeah. So <laughs> good, good for edged weapon defense, but not for uh, not for projectile defense. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Dang it! One of my one of my favorite cast iron pans. Um, a, my now wife bought it when we were, you know. Uh, one before she was my ex-wife and it actually came from pampered chef and shockingly good quality like it's it's cast of course but it's um it's just like a, almost like a sandwich skillet I mean, it fits four sandwiches just about perfectly for making grilled cheese on sundays and it's uh in our, in our house we have grilled cheese sandwiches on sundays i don't i don't know if that's a thing anywhere else but um sounds like a great that's tradition. uh it's it's a family tradition, so that's um, but that's it gets perfect size for that, and it's that even even heat distribution all over the place, and that's uh, uh, I mean I've had that for fifteen years now, and it still looks like it still looks as new as the day I bought it. So um, you know, so pro- the 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 products are out there, and don't be afraid don't be afraid to invest a little bit of money in it because it's it's going to last you a lifetime. Oh, awesome. So I guess it works into the cost saving aspect too. Then if it's going to last a long time, longer than your average Absolutely. Teflon pan. Yep. Yep. Some heavy up. It also doesn't. Cost. It also doesn't warp like like Teflon pans do, like the like the uh, the aluminized or steel ones. Well, you guys, do you ever notice the smell coming off a Teflon pan half the time? It just smells like death. Ugh, awful. Yeah, I, I kind of like the cast iron thing, especially with bacon and eggs. Yeah. Oh, I tell you. Oh yes. Yeah. There's there's nothing there's nothing like my well my one of my favorite things is uh, um, we have fajitas around here, right? The uh, so you, you do the fajitas like do the the onions and the peppers in the uh, in the skillet, and it's. Uh, Oh, it's just it, they they blacken up really nicely. It's just fantastic. You just gotta do bacon. Awesome. I, I'm also don't worry about the vegetables. Completely aware that it's now almost ten o'clock and I haven't <laughs> eaten dinner yet. So, uh. <laughs> well, we we made it to 45 minutes of the talking with cast iron, so that's pretty good. It's probably time think, to, to shut her down. Yeah, then. I think that's impressive. <laughs> I I wasn't quite sure how long we were gonna make it. I'm I'm impressed. <laughs> so maybe we'll move into the podcast challenge. All right, so uh, podcast challenge related to what we've been jabbering about for the last 45 minutes. It's uh, find a cast iron implement of your choice, incorporate into learning an alternate method of cooking food. Tell us how cheaply you got it for, or if you did a restoration on one, that's even better. So look at Kijiji, look at the thrift stores. Uh, It's yard sale season, so get out early on a Saturday morning. Cruise the uh, the neighborhoods and see what you can find. Uh, Maybe we'll see if we can find a prize for the lowest price, but it's got to be verifiable. If you do, uh, you do find something, or you, you find something that works well for you. Once you do get a pan, uh, as far as getting it prepared and ready to go and all set up, uh, just slip us an email at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, let us know what you found. Uh, it's no, uh, 
maybe we'll have a bit of a competition and see who can get the lowest price and, and where they found it or general area at least. And um, yeah, just flip an email into uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and let us know. Uh, we'll That's move awesome. into uh, some upcoming events. So we've got uh, the uh, 2019 annual Preppers Meet. It's coming up in uh, Desboro, Ontario. It's uh, running July 11th to 14th. Uh, so it's coming up quick now. Uh, if you check out annualpreppersmeet.com, I believe you can still get some tickets. Uh, reminder that if you do go, uh, any of the vendors or if you're registering right there at the, at the time and you're paying for your, your entry and your tickets, it's a cash-only event. Uh, cell service there is slim to none. You usually have to stand on one foot, uh, touch your nose, and, and raise your hand up in the air and maybe touch your tinfoil hat if you've got one with you. Uh, just make sure you get some cell signals. So, um, yeah, cash-only event for that one. Uh, but it is a worthwhile event to get out to. A lot of great presenters, a lot of great uh, things to learn, and a, a lot of awesome things to do for, for the time while you're there. But yeah. how's the shortwave reception? Uh, shortwave actually works fairly well. I, I was able to hit uh, hit a repeater out there, so there's repeaters there. Yeah. I asked uh, Che to come on here and uh, give us a quick blurb on the uh, channel, so we'll see if he comes back to us or not on that oh, one. Perfect. He's the, uh, the organizer for that one. Yep. So uh, as far as myself goes, I got a uh, July 6th, the podcaster charity shoot is coming up in Drumheller, Alberta. Everyone's welcome. Uh, so some planned events, including are including a maple seed course on July 5th, uh, the day before the event. Uh, Stop the Bleed course on July 6th. There's a morning and an afternoon class. Uh, there's going to be obviously some uh, tournament shooting, basically just uh, 50, 100 yard, 200, 300, I think, pancake uh, targets type of thing maybe cast iron who knows and then uh they've also got like a miniature ipsic run for people who've never done an ipsic before uh so if you can bring your handgun there that's great uh pig roast in the evening and uh that's a separate event you pay money for that one but they're gonna throw a couple pigs in the ground for that one and the proceeds are going to the big country anti-violence association so you can find information on that on the uh facebook under the ninth annual podcaster charity shoot or you can just drop me an email awesome awesome uh, so we've got the, a product review coming up as well. Uh, Alan took this up with a cool new safety product. Um, so uh, we've also got a good, uh, nice, decent discount as well for the product. Uh, so uh, some more info to come up in a future episode. I believe it's going to be the next one uh, that we're recording. So stay tuned yeah, I, for that. I apologize in advance for my video, uh, my video editing and uh, shooting abilities. Um, it was it was harder than I thought, and I'm very I'm very new to this, and technology is generally not my friend. So um, it looks like the the video looks like somebody who did it for the first time because it's done by somebody who did it for the first time. We're just glad you're wearing your PPE. Oh, I was wearing no PPE. It was it's the best. <laughs> well, as long as you had like the scorpions like rock being like a hurricane going on in the background or something, or you know some sort of action music, it'd be fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> gonna be fine so i'm gonna send you guys video you can edit it because i don't know how to do that (laughs) (laughs) fair enough send it my way i'll edit it up for you all right perfect you might not like the high heels i make you wear in it though (laughs) 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 all right let's move into some shadows that's fine (laughs) (laughs) you got a shout out there alan uh yeah, I've got a shout out to the local amateur radio club. Um, they keep uh, keep reminding me to get out and study. So the book is the book is living here next to me. I spend a fair bit of time here. I've I've got other other classes I'm studying for right now, but uh, um, I'm still on track to write uh, write my exam for that kind of by uh, by Thanksgiving. That's my that's my current goal. So um, kudos to them. I don't know that any of them listen, but they uh, they keep me uh, keep me going in the right direction. So uh, thank you to the uh, to the London Amateur Radio Club. 
Awesome. We've got a, a shout out to BudgetWise Promotions. Uh, they made us some pretty awesome shirts. So you can check them out at budgetwisepromotions.com. Uh, I don't know exactly when we want to show off the shirts, but they will be available uh, shortly for purchase. It'll help uh, fund the show and, and keep us running. I was going to so. say, it's too early to talk about the shirts yet. Nope, just did it. No, I, I think I think it's not too early to talk about the shirts. So. Nope. <laughs> I got a couple here. So. Well, you're, you're wearing one. Oh, yeah, show those off. I am, yeah. I got one on and... We got this guy here. Oh, look at that. So fancy. uh, And we got him in black, too. Because nothing quite says OPSEC like wearing a t shirt that says Canadian Pepper Podcast. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Not very great, man, but hey, no, what are you going to do? You know, if you want to help support the show, we've got some shirts now. (laughs) (laughs) You can always put a piece of duct tape over the logo, I suppose. and and that's your OPSEC, right? Which is yeah. also not obvious in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No. Not for the paranoid. For the <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, anyone else got some shout-outs? Silence on the panel. All right. Go to uh, email YouTube iTunes reviews. So we've got two uh, new five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, so we've got one on June the 6th from Natakami in uh, Burnaby. <laughs> so it says, love the podcast. Great advice. Five stars. Right on. And we've got one from Hunter874 on uh, June the 10th. It says, a great show. Uh, Ian Bear Bacon is a must try. Ooh. Uh, I, I will try that in the fall. There you go. I think that's a great idea. I don't <laughs> want to get ahead of myself and assume I'm going to get one, but and, and jinx it again like last year. But uh, <laughs> the wife's on board for hunting a, a fall bear, so... Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Give it a shot. Could have, one, it works. could have had one tonight. I might, uh, had one walk right through basically my backyard. Nice. Eight, eight then, it's, then it's attacking you, and you have no choice but to defend yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just say it's coming right for us or something like that, right? <laughs> or, uh, just don't, don't say anything and just let it lead it over to the freezer and drop it there. Well, actually, it's kind of <laughs> We've got such a uh, influx of bears right now in our area because the grizzlies, because they stopped grizzly hunting in BC, um, mm-hmm. and natural, you know, natural selection occurs, and the excess grizzlies are getting pushed over to the island for the first time in who knows how long. Cause there was no grizzlies on the island until about two years ago, and then uh, now they're pushing all the black bears south. So we've got a bunch, and uh, luckily enough, the wife and I each get two tags a year, so nice. we've got uh, three more to fill. Nice. <laughs> so that should be interesting because it's blackberry season come August, and I think season opens up in September. So, well, there you go. Got me nice and fat and ready to go. Yeah, there you go. Get some bacon. Yeah. <laughs> so we are up to a total of twenty-three five-star reviews. We've still got that one, uh, that one four-star, that little guy. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if maybe that was as a result of the uh, Sasquatch research scientist just ensuring we continue to talk to him, <laughs> practicing some obsec, perhaps. <laughs> doesn't want to message in anymore but wants to make sure he's still part of the show we're still yeah. thinking about you sasquatch even if you're not thinking about us yeah. he might be <laughs> knee deep in the bush still doing his research right now i don't know could be could be but oh well maybe we'll hear from him again <laughs> maybe he'll send us another four star who knows <laughs> Uh, as far as email goes, uh, nothing new has come in since the last episode. Uh, just a reminder to anybody who's listening, we're starting to do uh, 
shows every Wednesday night now. So uh, if you want to send an email in uh, between shows, and we can get it on the next episode. But uh, we are recording every Wednesday night now at uh, 9 o'clock Eastern. So. And, nothing, uh, and nothing new as well on, uh, on Podbean. Uh, no new reviews there either. Uh, so I guess we will, uh, I'll bring uh, episode number 25 of the uh, Canadian Prepper podcast to an end with that. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Take a few minutes to submit a review. Uh, it helps other people find us. Also lets us know if, uh, if you're enjoying what we're saying or what we're doing or, you know, throw in a couple of reviews and tell us what we're not doing right. And we'll see if we can correct it or maybe argue with you one or the other. Uh, <laughs> you can find us at uh, prepperpodcast.ca. We do record these shows live on YouTube chats. If you want an early peek at the show, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click on the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. And if you want to contact me directly, you can find me on Instagram at PPSWO. Or just dial 911, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in this area, yes. If you're if you're within my municipality, then I will come running. I thought it was 912. Uh, that's the that's the secret one. Talk about that. uh, that's, the, that's the secret one. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> All right, Hughes. Uh, sorry. So as for myself, um, I can be reached at uh, hfxprepper at uh, gmail dot com. And you have your own YouTube channel as well. Uh, I do uh, hfx. Yeah, if you just look up hfx prepper on YouTube, um, that's where you can find me as well. Starting to post right more videos on there now. Awesome. And how about you, Owen? Yeah, if people want to get hold of me, they can check out my Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com slash Welsh blacksmith. And that's where I post all my ironwork and various blacksmithing projects. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel that is small and growing, and it's mostly just a place I threw random videos of stuff I, I do. But if you just Google uh, YouTube my name, rather, uh, should come up. I don't have a fancy custom URL yet because I don't have enough sh uh, subscribers. So if you want to go over and subscribe to my channel, then I can get some fancy, you know, custom URL like HFX Prepper. I haven't, uh, I don't think we actually talked about your last name if you're okay with sharing that or not for YouTube, but. Uh... Yes, that's true. I should put that on there. I want Flewelling. Flewelling is my last name. If you can figure out how to spell it, then you're worthy of my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not a Welsh name, I don't know what is. Yeah, as you can say, it's almost as Welsh as my last name, but we won't go there right now. So, okay, so that's, that's pod podcast challenge number two. If you figure out how to spell Ian or Owen's uh, last name. Yeah. <laughs> you succeeded in, in challenge number two. Well, I understand that the Pronounce Welsh it again were, for us. I think the Welsh people were so poor back in the day they couldn't afford vowels, something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they used a lot of L's and R's instead, right? Something like that. Yeah, Y is the occasional Y. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so as far as myself, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me giving me, giving me my... Ugh, try this again. You can also find me giving my two cents worth on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us exposing more government waste, squirreling off on the auto firearms-related banter, and generally drowning our sores online versus at the local watering hole. <laughs> All right. Please uh, check out Rapid Survival at uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can get a hold of me there on the live chat uh, while you're buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. 
Uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, you can tune in for our next episode. We're going to be covering off fire prevention from a preparedness perspective. That is a tongue twister. Uh, so until next time, I'm not trying it again until we start recording the next episode. Uh, <laughs> until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs> <laughs>